listening to Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode. This week, I had the opportunity to have a conversation with U.S. Senator Joni Ernst, who is in a very contentious uh, re-election campaign and uh, for U.S. Senate here in Iowa. Uh, it's one of the races nationally, U.S. Senate races, it's considered a toss-up, and it's going to be key for Democrats to win in order to uh, retake the uh, Senate majority. Uh, so before we get to that interview, first I want to talk a little bit about the U.S. Senate uh, debate that happened on Saturday. I want to play a clip for you that was probably one of the more contentious uh, clips during the during the debate, um, some back and forth on on uh, Teresa Greenfield, Senator Ernst's Democratic challenger, her her business record, as well as uh, um, a comment about her um, congressional campaign in 2018. So here's that clip. Absolutely, Miss Greenfield. I talked to a gentleman named Mark the other day, and he was one of those people that were affected when you booted the mom-and-pop shops out of uh, a development area to make way for a foreign corporation. You know, he lost his entire winter revenue because of your actions. Will you apologize to all of those small business owners for affecting their revenue, their income, affecting their family over a winter? Well, Senator Ernst, you are misleading and wrong because that's not what happened. And I'm quite proud of my record as a business leader. I have seen the letters leader. personally signed by her. Would you like me to answer the question? Yes, you've interrupted me plenty, mm. Ms. And Greenfield. you have interrupted me too. Mm. I'm quite proud of my business record. I really am. Uh, I have done and uh, helped so many small businesses grow. I've helped so many of them move and expand, and I've certainly worked with them through good times and bad. And not all of them make it, uh, but most of them do a great job of uh, providing for their families. And I'll tell you, if you're referring to the Apple Valley Development Project, it was an economic development project, and we gave every single tenant more notice than was required, and we helped many of them move on to a new location, some of them in the same uh, properties that we owned. And I am proud of my service uh, to small businesses, and I will take that with me uh, to the United States Senate. And Senator Ernst, frankly, I'm surprised. You are one of the few Republicans I've ever met who hates economic development. Oh, excuse me, and I will respond to that. So here is Ms. Greenfield, who has been sued many times for shoddy workmanship, use of inferior materials in her businesses. Um, she's been sued for breach of contract. She is a hand-picked candidate from Nancy Pelosi two years ago when she couldn't make it on the ballot because of felony election fraud. She's someone who filed for bankruptcy, sticking it to Iowa businesses to the tune of $29 million. Senator Joni Ernst, you are so dishonest. You can go onto the internet. Shocking. You can see Just all shocking. of the documents. The documents are there, folks. Why on earth would we take someone that has this record of dishonesty and failed business leadership to the United States Senate? Uh, Greenfield has said that... Uh, Ernst's characterization of her business record is untrue, and, it, you know, unfortunately, the record doesn't really back that up, for her anyway, unfortunately. 
Uh, looking at uh, Des Moines Register article in 2015, it talks about uh, what she did as, as President Colby interests. Um, this is articles starts out saying, Today a bright yellow store closing sign hangs from a retailer's facade. Apple Valley is set to be demolished to make way for a new shopping center called Midtown, Midtown Crossing. The redevelopment will happen in stages. Apple Valley's west building will be demolished and redeveloped first. The east building will be redeveloped later on the building to secure new tenants, said Teresa Greenfield, president of Colby Interests. It goes on then. Um, see, tenants in the older west building include uh, golf headquarters, uh, Maria Grocery and Gift, Fitness Sports, and Windsor Clock and Watch, and they must move out by September 30th. A lot of tenants were blindsided by the fact that they were going to have to move, said Gary up the graph, uh, owner of Golf Headquarters, headquarters, end quote of the Des Moines Register article. And here's a clip from a uh, uh, the KCCI did uh, in 2015. Uh, Marcus McIntosh uh, was uh, put this story together, and I want you to listen to that clip as well. Oh, he references a letter, and if you were watching the video, in the letter you can see Teresa Greenfield's signature uh, right on the letter. Now, Kevin, we are at the Apple Valley Shopping Center in front of it here in Windsor Heights. And as a reference point, it is across University from the High V here in Windsor Heights. Now, behind me is the upper level. That is undergoing renovation, but that's not going to happen for some time. What we're talking about is the lower level. You can see it right down there. That is the lower level. That's where renovation is supposed to start fairly soon. And with less than two months until they have to get out, we spoke with business owners who are moving out to make way for something new. This is a copy of the certified letter received by business owners in the lower building of the Apple Valley Shopping Center in Windsor Heights. Owners that include Steve Bobbenhaus of Fitness Sports, Anders Olson of The Rookie, and Gary Updegraff of Golf Headquarters. That letter reads they have to be out of the building by September 30th. No, it puts us under a little pressure. Uh, we do have a lot of inventory in the store that we're going to, you know, to move it all would be monumental. All three business owners say they've known for a while their building was the first phase of what will be the new Midtown Center. But until two weeks ago, did not know when they would have to move out. I was hoping to get through the end of the year and maybe move in the spring. So it came a little sooner than I was really hoping for. Some businesses have already packed up and moved on. But for Olson, who's been here a decade, Updegraff, who's been here more than two decades, and Bobbenhaus, who's been here for three decades, packing up and leaving, not so easy. The uh, NRSC and Iowa GOP and, and the Ernst campaign has also attacked uh, Teresa Greenfield's record as uh, CEO of uh, Rutland Homes Iowa Division. And one, uh, one uh, ad that was played, KCR. G uh, TV station in Cedar Rapids actually did a fact check and, and basically found it the, the NRSC ad claims about Greenfield were true. They lacked some context, but they were true. Um, they noted that uh, Rutland Homes, where Greenfield served as CEO for their Iowa division, went bankrupt. Um, it faced lawsuits claiming that the business owed $29 million. Um, they said, but that was during a recession. But still, the fact is... They were sued for twenty, you know, twenty nine million. Uh, they had ten lawsuits while she was actually CEO. Uh, while there, the company has been sued sixty times since nineteen ninety five, and ten of those lawsuits were under her tenure. 
and and that that's that's true. That was fact checked. So I'm not entirely sure what what Greenfield's contesting here. That's her record. Um, also, too, I, I you know I have to admit that I'm <laughs> I am not a Teresa Greenfield fan. Out and just putting aside ideology and and party affiliation. I mean, there's just a number of things I disagree with Teresa Greenfield when it comes to uh, policy positions, and I'm ha- you know happy to, to to talk about that. But I just think she is a crappy candidate. Um, I have not seen a candidate who hides from cameras as much as Teresa Greenfield has hid, who lack, who does not ca- go out and actually campaign. Says she travels around the state, but she's been doing all sorts of virtual events. She has not visited western Iowa, hardly like at all. Uh, She has skipped out on town halls and debates that have occurred in northwest Iowa. And U.S. Senator, I'm sorry, yes, western Iowa, northwest Iowa, those are Republican strongholds. I understand that. But if you're going to be U.S. Senator, you've got to be able to represent the entire state. Joni Ernst isn't avoiding Eastern Iowa, even though that's not her stronghold. She still visits every county for for six years that she's been U.S. Senate senator. She has visited every county every year. Uh, she's going. She's this weekend. She's got a, a ride across uh, Iowa motorcycle ride. Uh, she's starting. I'm trying to remember where she's starting. Sioux City, maybe. I don't remember exactly. Uh, I'm not going to be able to be there, but uh, at least not for that one. I'm going I'm to be there when she hits Des Moines. But she starts, I think, Sioux City, then Carroll, uh, then then Des Moines, and Des Moines again the second day. But then she's going to Cedar Rapids and Davenport, hitting eastern Iowa. She's not avoiding tough spots. She has had town halls. She has had talked to voters who disagree with her. Um, but you can't – Tracy Greenfield is not – really spent time outside of democratic democratic organization or liberal organization controlled virtual events her campaign controlled virtual events that restrict who can ask questions she she just doesn't get out and campaign now she had a phenomenal i mean wow uh fundraising quarter in in quarter three Uh, she raised according to iowa starting line over 28 million dollars that is, I mean, that's jaw-dropping. That's never happened in, in the history of Iowa politics, that a, U, a U.S. Senate candidate has raised that much, even, I believe, for an entire race, let alone in one quarter. But that's because she's not going out and campaigning. All she's doing is fundraising. And all this, by the way, uh, she talks about dark money and complains about dark money, but how much money if you're raising 28 million dollars how much money of how much of that money is dark money she's got all sorts of outside groups spending money and Ernst has outside groups spending money as well are, are we to believe none of that is dark money I, I I personally don't have a problem with dark money but Greenfield's out campaigning against it so we need to hold her to her own standard she she campaigns against it she doesn't like it she says she won't take corporate PAC money well she has taken corporate PAC money. So uh, that's my problem. I mean, my, you know, outside of outside of policy positions, she's a hypocrite. She avoids the public. She doesn't campaign. 
She has a crappy business record. Her uh, her record on small businesses is abysmal. And I, for life of me, cannot understand why this is neck and neck. Only because, I guess, uh, because of all this money that's propping her up. She is not a good candidate, period. You know, her last race, and, and Ernst brought this up. Now, I don't think Teresa Greenfield knew about this, but she hired the campaign manager who forged signatures that got her, you know, basically they had to with with they had to withdraw those signatures and she wasn't able to get out on the, you know, on the ballot in Iowa's 3rd Congressional District uh, D- Democratic primary in 2018. Now, 3rd District Democrats try to bend over to backwards to get her and circumvent state law to get her on the ballot. Uh, and that was eventually rejected even by the Democratic uh, 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 Attorney General of Iowa, Tom Miller. Uh, he didn't recommend that, that she be placed on the ballot, so the Secretary of State didn't. She hired the guy. So, you know, that's her record. You know, she can, she can try to explain it, but to say that, you know, these things didn't happen... Um, that's just absolutely positively false. So anyway, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that before uh, introducing my my uh, uh, my interview, having a brain fart there for a second, my interview with uh, U.S. Senator Joni Ernst. Um, just the we have an abrupt beginning, mainly because I only had 15 minutes to talk by phone, so I I told her it's like let's just get to business. I had I had some questions I wanted to ask, didn't get to all of them because you know only had 15 minutes, but um, I thought it was a pretty substantive uh, 15 minutes, and I hope you learn a lot. Um, I think I asked her some questions that she normally doesn't get asked uh, by the media. So without further ado, here's my interview with U.S. Senator Joni Ernst. After uh, having met with uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, uh, what are your impressions of her, and did you learn anything new? Oh, goodness, yes. I did have the pleasure of meeting Judge Barrett. Uh, that was, I think, last week. And she is a very impressive, uh, I would say that she's a well-qualified judge, and she will follow the Constitution as written rather than legislating from the bench. And so you know, we'll continue. We'll be back in D.C. on Monday, and I will do my duty to vet the nominee thoroughly before I cast my vote um, with her nomination. But again, just I was very, very impressed, and it was such a pleasure meeting her. Good. Now, you said in the last, I think, I, I believe it was in the first debate that you don't believe Roe v. Wade will be struck down. Uh, can I ask you to just to expand on that? And I know some are wondering, like, well, if that's, not, if that's not the case, has this conservative focus on the judiciary been the wrong approach? No, and I said it would be minimal just because we are up against a nearly 50-year precedent that is out there. Um, certainly, I am adamantly pro-life and do uh, find ways to, to push for that. It will be very dependent upon what cases are brought in front of the Supreme Court. And then, of course, with Judge Barrett, and I would never ask this of any judge or justice sitting on the Supreme Court, is to prejudge any cases that are out there. But just to, you know, I don't want folks to 
to misunderstand me, I am sure. adamantly pro-life. You know, would I love to see it overturned? Absolutely. Um, the fact is we are up against a very difficult hill to climb. Um, do I think it's, it's inappropriate to move this direction with who we might consider more conservative justices? No, absolutely not. I think we continue to put that effort out there um, because what we want to see, and not just conservative um, or liberal, but that they are constitutionalists. They are textualists. They're originalists. They're going to follow the Constitution. That should be the litmus test that we are looking for in any Supreme Court justice. Okay. And do you think there's going to be enough votes to get her confirmed? I know there's I some do. that are. You I, do. I just. Yeah, I do. I just, you know, I look at her qualifications and the fact that she is so highly recommended, not just by conservatives, but there are a number of liberals, both. Um, those that are in the university systems, those that have worked with her previously, that say that anybody that's voting against her because of her qualifications, they just shouldn't um, because she is extremely well qualified. And that's coming from conservatives and liberals. Okay. Uh, the reaction to the last three vacancies on the Supreme Court, I think, mm -hmm. demonstrates that the court has a an outsized role in American life. I know uh, Vice President Joe Biden recently said that uh, the court affects our, our daily lives. Uh, should it uh, affect our daily lives, and, and how, how do we limit it? Well, the decisions they make obviously do affect our daily lives, and that goes back to, to talking about those that we are appointing to um, the Supreme Court is that they do need to be constitutionalists. Um, they need to uphold the Constitution. And we do not need justices that are legislating from the bench. So while they are deciding the cases in front of them, and yes, they do affect our daily lives, what we want to make sure is that whatever they're ruling on is actually according to the Constitution and not just some random idea that maybe has been uh, forming in their minds through the years. We need folks that will follow the Constitution. Sure, but can, can the legislative branch, uh, sometimes I think we're, the court takes on this role because the legislature, legislative branch um, has kind of shirked its responsibility. Do you, do you agree, disagree? Uh, and how, how can that? Well, how? I do think that as, sure. I think one way is as we are passing laws, we do need to make sure that they are constitutional. Um, so, you know, looking looking at cases um, that come up in front of the Supreme Court is because there is, you know, concerns that they're not constitutional. So I think due diligence on the part of Congress to make sure they, they are passing laws that are constitutional, uh, that's on us. You know, we need to make sure of that. Okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, Republicans have controlled the Senate since 2015. And unfortunately, this federal debt has continued to grow exponentially. Why should Americans support Republicans this time around? Well, I think that, again, there's a number of us that will continue to push upon um, balancing the budget. I am a co-sponsor of the balanced budget amendment. I think that that is really important. And for so many of us, we, we do have to continue to push that uh, that message that we need to be responsible and guardians of our taxpayer dollars. Uh, we have gone through, um, just for example, just in this year, a uh, pandemic. 
you know, the COVID pandemic has been extremely difficult. It has added to our national debt. We've seen significant deficit spending as we try and recover. Um, We have seen significant pushes uh, to move forward and rebuild our economy um, with lower taxes. Uh, We are trying to rebuild our military after eight years of Biden and, and Obama, you know, decimating our national defense. So these are all issues that we have had to work very hard on, but uh, we do need to close up that deficit spending and focus on repayment of the debt. So I have been part of that effort. There are a handful of us within the Republican Party that are fighting very hard. But what I would warn is that if you think the answer to our national debt is to look to the Democratic Party, they are the party that does not believe in saying no. Um, Certainly, the debt would have been much, much larger had we had Democrats in control at a time like this. Okay. Uh, fair enough. And uh, you, you campaigned in 2014 that you were going to make them squeal. Who's squealing in the Republican Party? Well, certainly I have a number of colleagues that are squealing as I push for the RFS. Um, that is really important. Um, I think there are a lot of folks out there with my squeal act. Uh, I got a lot of pushback on that. It is actually in law now. Um, my squeal act stripped away special perks, um, special tax benefits that were given to members of Congress for their living expenses in Washington, D.C. That has been reversed now due to my efforts. And again, it was signed into law and it didn't make me popular amongst Republicans or Democrats. But it was something that, again, a handful of us felt was important to move. So we got that done. Uh, My Swamp Act as well doesn't make some Republicans comfortable because it moves uh, the federal agencies out of the Washington, D.C. area. That has not been signed into law yet, but we do see that the president has been encouraging his departments to move outside of D.C. We saw this actually with USDA and Secretary Mm -hmm. Perdue has moved a number of parts, not the entire headquarters, but he has started moving parts of USDA outside of Washington, D.C. I think he had one of his departments just um, moved to Kansas or is in the process of moving to Kansas. Uh, The uh, EPA has also uh, taken similar thoughts as well. Uh, We do have regional EPA offices, but moving more of the headquarters out into uh, areas across the United States. It is a great cost-saving mechanism, but it also provides better representation in those agencies because they're actually living and working in the remote areas that they are representing when they write rules. So there's a lot of initiatives that I've had that have seen great success you know, whether it's been picked up on by the administration or actually, you know, having um, bills signed into law. So, yeah, there are a lot of people squealing um, in D.C. and around the country. The Democrats are obviously squealing as well, as you see how they are desperately trying to unseat me with all of the dollars that are pouring into the state of Iowa. Um, Those are coming from extremist organizations. They don't like the fact that I have a strong voice for Iowa in Washington, D.C. I want to circle back to the pandemic uh, since you mentioned it earlier regarding the debt. You know, I think the overall economy is starting to rebound, but industries shut down by the pandemic are struggling still, like the hospitality industry and do we need to have a conversation about emergency powers at the federal and state levels after this pandemic is over? 
did we overreact or did most states strike the right balance? And uh, what what was the sorry to, for the multi questions here, but mm-hmm. was was the federal response about right or too expensive? Well, I think it, it was balanced about right, Shane, and we can go back and try and troubleshoot, you know, hindsight 2020, but absolutely we were acting as quickly as we could, not knowing how uh, overwhelming the the uh, pandemic might be. Um, but what we are trying to do moving forward, obviously, is focus very much on the supports that are needed for our Iowa working families, for our rural health care systems, for child care support so moms and dads can get back to work. You know, that's what we're very much focused on. And when we brought up a targeted relief package in the Senate just a few weeks ago, the Democrats outright rejected it. They just simply decided that doing nothing was better than doing something that would support our working families. Um, So it's it's a shame that we've gotten to this point. We're going to continue negotiating and hopefully be able to move a targeted package forward. Uh, You mentioned that there are still a number of businesses that are hurting, and those are the businesses that we can provide support for. There are a number of businesses that I've talked to that because of the pandemic, they've actually done much better. Um, so, you know, it's just dependent upon what sector you, you know, of industry you are in. Um, so I think we just really have to gauge that very closely, pay attention to it very closely, and then move forward in the areas where we can make a great impact. But I think the cost to our economy would have been much more significant if we had not enacted a number of the packages that we did. So I think we did strike the right balance there. Yeah, is it, um, has, is it a lot of money? Yes, absolutely it is. But again, the cost of recovery, if we had not stepped in, I think would have been much more significant to the American people. Any thoughts about what we should do different next time? Because obviously another pandemic will be down or oh. right around the corner. Right, most certainly. And the the president did the right thing, you know, by stopping travel into the United States from those hot spots. And he's heavily criticized. So, I, you know, I think that we have responses, uh, obviously, that we've studied now from this pandemic. And I think that those could be utilized in the future. And again, you know, striking a right balance between what can the federal government do versus, you know, what can we rely on at the state or local level. But I think we'll have a lot of lessons learned coming out of this pandemic and we'll be able to capture those at the the national and the state level. We just have a couple minutes left and and the election's growing closer. and People are actually already voting. Uh, give me give me your best elevator speech about why Iowans should reelect you. Yep, I am Joni Ernst, and I was raised on a small family farm in southwest Iowa. My life has been devoted to serving the public, first as a combat company commander. I then served in local elected office. I served in the state Senate and now in the United States Senate. And I am a fighter for Iowa through and through. 
Um, I know how important it is to fight for our farmers, you know, because I, I grew up on a farm. My family is still engaged in farming. I'm fighting for our veterans because my boots have been in that sand. Uh, I will continue fighting for working families and for single moms because I've been through some of those struggles. And I certainly will always be an advocate for our sexual assault and domestic violence survivors because I've I've been in that situation myself. Um, I am ranked as one of the most bipartisan senators of either party from any state in the last 25 years. And that ranking was done by Georgetown University, not a conservative institution, um, but certainly something that I am extremely proud of. I am not afraid to reach across the aisle and work with other members of the Senate when I know it's the right thing to do for Iowa. So I'm proud of what I've accomplished, and there's still a heck of a lot more to do. And so I am asking all Iowans quite humbly to let me keep serving and keep fighting for Iowa. Senator Ernst, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. No, thanks, Shane, very much. All right. Have a good day. Okay. You take care. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that concludes today's episode of the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com. Or you can just Google Caffeinated Thoughts and it'll show up at the top of your search screen. Also, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, sign up for our emails. That way you don't miss a single update. And and I also encourage you, uh, if you happen to be listening to the web, the uh, podcast episode on our website, you know, sign up for, subscribe to our, our podcast using a, ver- a variety of different podcast apps. I think that's better, f- you know, better for us, more convenient for you. Um, if you do that, that way you don't miss a single up, uh, a single episode. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Blueberry, uh, Podbean. I think that's it so far. Uh, trying, we're still, I'm still trying to work out. Uh, Amazon's launched a new podcast thing. I'm not entirely sure what I need. You know, I'm, I'm looking into that. That hasn't happened yet. Also, tune. We used to be on Tuned In, and now we're not. And I'm trying to get us back on. So, uh, looking into that as well. If there's, if there's another app out there that I didn't mention that that you use and you'd like to see us get on. Uh, drop me a line, Shane, at caffeinatedthoughts.com. I'll try to see if I can make that happen. Until next time, my friends, this is Shane Vanderhart signing off. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care.